0: good morning everybody we're live happy Tuesday Abby and I are so excited this morning for our guest um, I feel like by his name by his face by his voice when this man starts talking he is so recognizable one of the as I was talking to him you know before we we came live I said you know he's he's really one of the most controversial but because he's so bold and so unapologetic. And that is what Abby and I are all about. So without further ado, I want to welcome Pastor Greg Locke. Thank you, Thank you so much for coming.
1: Hey, I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yes, I know how busy you are. And it's you truly embody and stand for so much of what Abby and I do here at The Real Deal of Parenting. And, you know, in, th- in this crazy time, That we live in, especially for social media and the censorship, which Abby and I, as we run the top conservative parenting platform, we get so much censorship Mm. and it's tough. It's tough to speak boldly and, and you do that. And so I think one of the things, I mean, Pastor Locke, you've always been um, popular, but I think one of the things that made you stand out so much was during this pandemic how bold you were to minister to people and not going with the laws Hmm. um, that were unlawful. (laughs) So walk us through that. I mean, did you have any trepidation anywhere of thinking, okay, if I don't obey, I know this this isn't right, but if I don't obey, like, did you have any trepidation of going
1: against the grain? Not really. Here's kind of what happened. You know, CNN just started showing up. All the time, like randomly. They've been here seven times. And then because of that, then CBS, PBS, Vice News, MTV, you know, Netflix, Hulu, everybody's been here to do something. Our some. friend.
2: All of our yeah. friends.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the preacher never shut down his church. But it's interesting. Here's how I sum kind of that question up. CNN said, you know, we don't like you because you profited – because of COVID. I said, no, no, you don't like me because we profited because of courage. That's why our church grew, not because of COVID. Our church grew because I had a backbone, and I was willing to stand up and say, you need to see this for what it is. Look, at the beginning, I was a little bit more compassionate, maybe, than I am now. I didn't dig my heels in nearly as much, but after 15 days to slow the curve, and it just kept going and going and going, you know, we never shut down, and I thank God for that. But, you know, I don't, I don't minimize the guys that did for maybe the first couple of weeks. I get that, especially if they had an elderly con— they didn't know what to believe. But after about a month or so, if you couldn't figure it out, then you have very little, if any, spiritual discernment whatsoever. This is a nefarious plan, right? This is an absolute demonic attack on the body of Christ. And so when I started calling it what it was, we went—you know, we've always had a very large social media platform, which helped in some ways. But uh, we went from a 350-seat auditorium, to a 650-seat tent, to an 850-seat tent, to a 1,200-seat tent, to a 1,500-seat tent, tent. Now we're in a 3,000-seat tent, and people are packed every single weekend. We've been privileged to baptize 2,700 converts in the last 18 months. And every Sunday, including this past weekend, which was you know, Thanksgiving getaway weekend, We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people gathered under a tent, practically standing room only. And it's not a Greg Locke deal. It's a God-sized deal because people are hungry. They want somebody that will stand up and say, look, I'm going to shepherd you, and that may be difficult. There are no consequences to being a leftist. You can say things and believe stupid stuff and nobody does a thing. But if you're a conservative, if you're a Christian, right, if you believe in Jesus, if you say anything about, you know, a fraudulent election, oh, my goodness, then you get conservatively censored. And so there is absolutely no sacrifice to believing nonsense. But if you stand for truth, it's going to cost you everything. Yeah, that's
0: so true. So Yeah. True.
2: Well, I mean, I think I, I, what what have been I mean, uh. I mean, I know the answer to this, but what, what have been some of the consequences have people shown up, have the cops shown up? Mm -hmm. What, what, what has happened since you have taken a stand and you've said, no way we're, we're not closing down.
1: Well, you know, one of the biggest things is, of course, the media has painted me in the corner as some kind of Jim Jones, you know, Kool Aid drinking, waiting for a Haley Bob Comet cult to come back, you know, type of a deal. And so, you know, and I'm on Nancy Pelosi's top 40 terrorist hit list, you know, for the insurrection nonsense of January 6th. And so it's just been one thing after another. And so they demonize us, they paint us into a corner. The police showed up for the first number of literally two and a half, three months, every single service. But the problem for the left was they like me because we've supported them for so many years in our community. And so the sheriff's like, look, I'm not going to arrest you, man, but you need to say something. You need to make a statement to let these people know that you're not going to shut down. So that particular day, CBS, PBS, all of them were there. And uh, I kind of nodded at the sheriff and I said, look, these people keep showing up, but I'm here to tell you, they're not going to arrest me. We're doing nothing wrong. And so I'm going to make a very bold statement. And so what I said and the media had a meltdown. I said, look, we so believe in our First Amendment right to gather under this tent and worship Jesus Christ, that if you show up and impede on our First Amendment right, I said, our boys are going to meet you at the door with our Second Amendment right. Because we're not playing your Democrat games. And so that kind of stopped the police (laughs) from showing up. But then the neighbors started showing up at the council meetings and the zoning hearings because we kept buying up the land around us because we were running out of parking. And they were like, he's a national security threat. He's a cult. And so the attorney for the for the county said, look, we're here for a zoning hearing, right? This is for permits. So this guy can keep growing. This is not because he's a national security threat. So we don't really care what you think. And so they got petitions together. They've tried to sue us over, you know, water, running off. They've tried to sue us now over a sound ordinance. And so now we got to go to court over this sound ordinance violation of which there is no sound ordinance. And so it's been one thing after the next. We've been vandalized twice. Uh, we've had to hire overnight security at the tent just so people don't you know, burn the place down. There's always people there. We've had to run Antifa, BLM out of the tent a number of occasions. It's just protesters show up on a regular basis. It's just par for the course. Our people are used to it. We're just not going to play their games and uh, we're just not going to give in. We're not going to quit. They know by now. Come hell or high water, we're just not going to close our church. We're not worried about the difficulty. We're not worried about the ramifications. We're just going to preach truth. And so they just keep coming after us, coming after us, coming after us. And there's literally been four documentaries that have been released within the last number of months and two more on the way just because – they want to try to stop us. But what they're doing is what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. They're fueling my right. fire. You can't poke a guy like me without poking the bear. All that does is stoke my fire and make me buy bigger speakers and just preach longer, right? It's just the way okay. I'm here. I have a well, spirit of disruption.
2: Yes, And it's bringing people to your church, right? So people are driving from crazy crazy places to come to your church, right? Yeah.
1: Every Sunday, we have at least five or six hundred first time visitors every week and every Sunday. They're different five or six hundred visitors and they're coming from California, from Oregon, from Texas, from Arkansas. We normally have about 22 to 25 states represented every single Sunday morning for one service. Our meet and greet lines are are ridiculous, but I stay after as long as I have to for hours. and I meet every person that comes to our church because. They're just tired of their pastor not saying what needs to be said. And they're driving here. We have five, at least five families a month that sell everything and move to Mount Juliet just to attend our church. It's unbelievable what's happening.
0: That's chilling. And, and you, you know, you spoke just volumes when you said, you know, when you speak truth, um, God's truth, God's word and truth, what's happening today, you're a threat Yes. You're, you're deemed, We've Abby and I have been deemed too, you've been deemed a terrorist. Yeah, are a threat. And of course, because you don't go, um, you go with God's agenda, not today's agenda. Um, you know, if you're, since you're going against the grain, they're going to do everything they can to bring you down and stop you. And people who are attracted, who want to grow closer to Jesus, they are attracted to you because that's all you're trying to do. And so- yeah. It's crazy. And Abby and I were talking about this the other day. She's like, people just drive from or fly in from all over. Yeah. Alabama. Now, so with that, and I don't know the answer to this question, do you have any streaming services available for people to tune in?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, because of our social media presence, you know, we always did a live stream, even when we were in the small chapel building. But now, I mean, to God be the glory we literally have the largest church live stream in america i mean we we have a bigger live stream than than any mega church that you can imagine we literally have tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands sometimes that tune in every single hour to our Wednesday night and our Sunday and really w- whatever else we're doing. And if they find out we're doing something, we're not streaming, man, they have a meltdown. You know? Right. So, right? So so excited. Word? And so, you know, while we're still on Facebook, you know, we're streaming on multiple Facebook platforms, our YouTube platform, you know, and several others. But I'm, And then, you know, the thepastorlock.com and then globalvisionbc.com. And it's just growing exponentially. And like Abby said, they really are driving and flying in just from all over America, sometimes from around the world for one service. And and I'm shocked. I'll meet people and they're like, hey, uh, we just moved here. We've been coming here for a couple of weeks. We've not met you yet, but we sold everything in California. And here we are. What can we do? And I'm like, this is unbelievable. It's the most humbling experience I've ever been involved in. I mean, it is full-blown revival. This is what we've prayed for for 15 years in our church. And we are watching it happen. And I'm afraid that the body of Christ, not just ours, but the body as a whole, I'm afraid people are not going to recognize the revival that really is here because it didn't show up the way that we thought it was going to. We thought revival was going to come out of a Wednesday night prayer meeting or a Billy Graham crusade. Revival came out of persecution. It came through the back door persecution because now the remnant is rising. And now we know who's serious and who's not because the left knows who they can control and who's going to be a problem moving forward. And the churches that are growing are the ones that are going to be a problem moving forward. People are sick of status quo. So God is exposing from the top down. He is exposing the denominational leaders that were in it because they were nothing more than hirelings and all they wanted was money and to fly around in jets and all this bunch of nonsense. God's exposing every one of them. And now what he's doing, he's raising up the people that have boldness and not just in the church world, as you know, in the podcast world, in the television world. I mean, Hollywood's at a flip flop right now. The people that are saying what needs to be said and refuse to bow to cancel culture are growing by leaps and bounds. I have never met one pastor that said, well, you know, we stayed open and we regret it. Oh, no, they all regret closing down. And a lot of them don't need to reopen because they were coffee-drinking social clubs before this nonsense started to begin with. But the ones that stayed open and stayed bold, we have more people, more financial resources than we've ever had before. They told us two years ago, you will never be able to expand. And in 18 months, 20 months, we went from an acre and a half to 23 acres that we paid cash for. We own everything around us for the most part because we just keep having to pour gravel, pour gravel, pour gravel, because hundreds of new cars are showing up every weekend. So you can't tell me, that the favor doesn't follow the obedience. God will bless you when you are courageous and bold, no doubt.
0: Okay, oh, right. I love that. And
2: how how have other people? I mean, uh, you know, I know that that you and um, Pastor Brian Gibson and mm-hmm. and other people are, um, uh, Pastor Kim Peters, and yeah. you know, there's other other of you. Uh, I'm still waiting on my uh, black coat, by the way. Um, uh, no, I know I can't. I know I can't be part of that club. But anyway, um, I know that I'm, I know that there are others of you that are just really. I mean, you guys have come together because you know you guys need to to be together and yeah. on this journey together. You know, um, and and be and have support, right? Um, yeah, those of you that are standing strong. you know have other pastors just been reaching out to you guys and saying you know hey we we want to be a part of this group that you guys are I mean we you know can you help us just you know sort of have this courage that you guys I mean are you guys sort of like mentoring other pastors and coming alongside other pastors right now who are just I don't know feeling like the, the pressures mm. of, of society and the government and, and everything like that?
1: Yeah, I'll answer that a couple of ways. You know, I get a lot of letters from pastors, kind of twofold. I get a lot of letters from pastors or phone calls or meetings or whatever where they they feel like I've shamed them. You're like, oh, you've shamed us. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Shame, shame. Everybody knows your name. Sure. You're a coward. Yeah, I have shamed you. I've done that on purpose. But also I get a lot of letters from guys that say, you know what? I would love to say what you're saying, but my deacons would fire me. I would love to say what you're saying, but the elder boy, the denomination would get rid of me. You know, the the biggest tithing old lady in our church would stop tithing and quit coming, you know. And so they, they have to get to a place where they don't fear that. Where they have a healthy fear of God and no fear of man, because God's. Where they no only fear, fear, fear. God, oh, right? Yeah, where yeah they absolutely. Only fear yeah. God. You know, and so we have these guys reaching out to us on a very regular basis that won't help. Now, here's the sad thing that I think people don't recognize, and I'm and I'm careful how I frame this and how I say this because it can sound, I guess, extraordinarily arrogant, and that's not my point. But really, if if you get a, a list and you start writing down the names, there may be 20 of us in America that are doing this as far as pastors are concerned. Yeah. I mean, you, you cannot think of a hundred pastors with any platform whatsoever that are saying the things that the guys you just mentioned are saying. They're just not. Right. I mean, I used to say, well, you know, there's 75 or 80 of us. And then I started writing it down. I'm like, I don't even know if I can think of 20. Or 25, you know, you got Jack Hibbs, you know, you got these guys, you know, uh, uh, Rob McCoy, these men that stood up, Kent Christmas and said, you know, enough is enough. And, you know, Ken and Brian Gibson that you talked about, but there's really not like 20 or 25 of us. And I'm thinking there should be hundreds of us because it was the black robe regiment that saved the republic during the American Revolution. It wasn't just the soldiers. It was the pastors that took off their black clerical robes and led their men into battle and said enough is enough. We have to save this nation. And so, you know, I'm, I'm busy. I'm going everywhere. You know, last night I was speaking at a rally only like an hour from here. And, you know, I'm having the privilege to preach in some of the largest political gatherings on the planet. And people are like, well, what do you preach at a political rally? I preach Jesus because Jesus is the hope of the world. OK, we don't have a White House problem. We have a God's house problem. Judgment begins at the house of God. This ain't a Biden deal. This is a cowardly pastor deal. Right. And so I'm preaching all over America and all of these revivals and conferences and political rallies to get people to understand it's the church's fault. That's why we are here right now. The family's in a mess because it's the church's fault. The nation's in a mess because it's the church's fault, because the pastors don't want to rise up and be courageous with a spine and say what needs to be said. But nobody, nobody in their right mind can read a Bible. You can't have half a Bible and half a brain and show me anybody in the word of God that wasn't bold, right? And sometimes even belligerent. John the Baptist got his head cut off for calling the king an adulterer, sticking his finger in his face and saying, you know, you're full of political corruption. And they cut his head off. Yet Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet ever born of a woman. All the minor prophets, the major prophets, even Jesus himself. They didn't kill him because of what he did. They killed him because of what he said. And what we say is a threat to the narrative. So, you know, as well as I do, when you break the rank of the narrative, you become a target. But you also know that you're dropping the bombs over the right target when they come against you. And yeah. so we're praying that we can mentor more men. But what we're finding is these guys are hiding under a rock. They're really honestly thinking in their mind, right, that everything eventually is just going to stop and go back to normal. That's utter nonsense. It ain't going to get better and better. That's, that's Bernie Sanders theology, not Bible theology. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Jesus predicted it's going to get worse. And we are going to have to stand because we are never going back to what we call normal. So it's time to stand up and be the remnant that God's called us to be. Well, I
2: think think that's the danger is that people keep thinking that there's going to be unity and unity and unity among the church. And that is a lie. There there is not going to be this great unity among the church. There is going to be division um, in the church there is going to be great division in the church. There is going to be this separation of wheat from the chaff, right? There is going to be a small remnant uh, of the church. And that is going to be the true church of Jesus Christ. And we have to stop believing that, that, uh, that those of us that, enter into heaven are going to be this this huge multitude of people not everybody's getting in
1: right right?
0: i Uh, mean people think people too many people think the cross is their golden ticket mm. the cross is everything but that is not our easy pass yeah heaven and what we're seeing right now pastor lock is what you said you know, uh, these pastors and priests and bishops and deacons, everyone's afraid to offend their congregation. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. No, hurt my feelings. I'd rather be offended into heaven than loved into hell, than loved and complimented into hell. Absolutely. You have to offend people. You have to call out sin, you know, and now, and that's what Abby and I do a lot, just as you do, you know, and then when you call out this sin, um, you're, you know you're called unchristian like you're not loving your neighbor yeah. all these things that we're told to accept well God would want yes Jesus loves you know us all God loves us all but we're not called to love the sin we're not called yeah. to you know tell people just to keep living in that sin and that's the biggest issue in any church in any religion we're seeing today everyone doesn't is tiptoeing yes. everyone's tiptoeing and we need bold
1: leaders like yourself? You know, it's interesting because everybody said, well, why don't you preach more like Jesus? I tell them if I did, I would be on nobody's podcast. Okay. Okay. Jesus was a mainstream television. I mean, Jesus was a Bible preaching machine. It wasn't always just meek and mild baby Jesus. You got to read Matthew 23, man. He called names. He was a pretty scathing individual. We would have thought that that would have been a huge jerk of a sermon that's what people would say today oh my goodness i need a i need a plush unicorn and some skittles i need to go sit in the green room and feel better about myself jesus was a bible preacher paul was very demonstrative in the way that he preached and so you know you get all of these people how in the world could a loving god let anyone go to hell the better question is how could a holy god let anyone go to heaven and we have forgot about the holiness of god and men of god and women of god have got to get back to where we thunder out that truth and because culturally we look around, and we think, how did we get here? Because the church stopped preaching yeah, and the yeah. church stopped having biblical morality and standards and understanding how valuable the authority of God's word is. And so we're in this hodgepodge of a mess and everybody wants a real soft, you know, give me a give me a 22 minute motivational speech. Well, people aren't driving and flying from all over America for a 22 minute motivational speech. They know who I am before they show up. I tell them there's no seatbelts in our tent. I'm not keeping you there. You can leave anytime you want to. A tent's got big doors, right? But they keep showing up and they keep showing up. I get people that book me for these meetings and I show up and I say, look, you knew who I was before you booked me. If you haven't watched the Facebook video, that's on you, not me, because I'm not going to change for whoever shows up. I'm not going to give Trump a pass. I'm not going to give Biden the pass. I'm going to preach what the Bible says. I'm not compromising for your mom, for my mom, or for anybody else. I'm just who I am. And I think in these last days, we need some preachers like Ezekiel to be a watchman on the wall and stand up and say, enough's enough. This is what the Bible says. We're not looking for likes and clicks. You now, my book's not called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's called This Means War, because we're in a battle, and we better fight. Yes.
2: Yeah, it was funny. I'm, I'm doing a talk um... Well, I'm, I'm doing a press conference at the Supreme Court and uh, I had to turn in my remarks, which is not something that I do uh, usually, but, uh, you know, it was a requirement. So I I turned them in and I, I mean, if I'm asked to speak, you know what I'm going to talk about, right? Exactly. I mean, like I, you know what I'm going to say, right? so my remarks and i get a, a really sweet email back and um and i'm giving the truth right about what abortion is what it does to babies very graphically what yeah. what happens to babies whatever we're we're trying to abolish abortion here right yeah. so i'm i'm giving it to to these people i'm the, the press is going to be there and i'm i'm going to tell them what exactly is happening to babies and what I've seen happen to babies in the clinic. So I get these comments back and they say, you know, um, I'm, you know I'm just I'm worried because uh, there might be, you know, like some sensitive ears and the there might be some children in the audience and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, mm. well, if people are bringing their children there, then I would expect that they know that their children are going to hear about abortion if they're going to an abortion press conference. Right. Like, I mean, I'm expecting that they're going to know that. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to water down my message for people who may be sensitive to abortion. I mean, like, like hear what, what we're saying here. I mean, like, Babies are dying and, 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 and what, what your, what your primary message here is people are going to hell. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think people just, they don't grasp the seriousness of what is at stake here.
1: Yeah. You're right.
2: People are going to hell. And I, and I just think that people don't understand You know, I I hear all the time people saying, well, I hope they go to hell. And I'm like, no, you don't. Right. If you really understood what you're saying, Mm. we don't want anybody to perish eternally in hell. You don't want your worst enemy to go to hell. Neither does God. We want everybody to spend eternal life with him. We aren't doing enough about it. We aren't doing enough about it. Our pastors aren't doing enough about it. The church is not doing enough about it. And we are censoring ourselves so much so in every aspect of who we are as Christians. We're censoring ourselves as parents. We're allowing the government to parent our children. We are censoring ourselves as Christians. We're censoring ourselves from the pulpit. We're censoring ourselves on social media. We're censoring ourselves everywhere we go because we don't want to offend
1: Hmm.
2: and it is it's pathetic yeah it's it's really really pathetic because we we want to please so many people around us instead of only worrying about offending the one person that matters the only person that matters
1: yeah. Yeah. Everybody's willing to offend God. And uh, I say to myself, I'd rather offend you than offend what the Lord says. But at the end of the day, the hypocrisy is interesting that you're talking about in our culture, like you know, the Supreme Court sitting back and saying, Oh, you know, that might be too too difficult to hear. It's like these bold parents that are going to these school board meetings and reading right out of the books that their kids are learning from. And they're like, oh my goodness, you, you can't read those things. What do you mean? You're making my kids read that garbage, right? Not my kids, I pull them all out, they're homeschool, But you know, I mean, they're, they're making our kids see these <clears throat> these pictures and read this stuff. And then when we get up in front of adults, they're like, oh, they get butt well, on the pictures, right? start slipping <laughs> on their chairs, they start getting You're all nervous. Not. You're making our kids read that wicked nonsense. And you won't even let up it's so hypocritical. Because really, parents and preachers, politicians, Nobody really wants to know what's going on. If we knew what was happening right now, we would be shocked. They would be marching in the streets. No wonder the media won't cover the, the Gislaine Maxwell trial that's going on right now because they don't want these elite pedophile sex trafficking demons to be exposed. But I'm telling you, they're going to be exposed. And I told our people this past Sunday, it's not just going to be the politicians that are going to be exposed. There's going to be some famous high level pastors and priests and popish type people that are going to be absolutely exposed for the evil, nefarious plans that they have been involved in. So I'm telling you what's done in secret. God's going to shout it from the house.
0: Yes, I agree. And I think, you know, and I know we have to come to a close here soon. But the one thing that I think all three of us live by is we, o- we have gotten to this point in our lives where we only care about offending God. And we know that Reagan and Greg and Abby are going to have to kneel before God. Yeah. And we're going to have to answer for everything we've done. But also what we didn't say when yeah. he looks at you, Greg, I gave you this platform and you didn't have the courage to say you would never want fa- Oh, a father. I, 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 I was, you know, I didn't have the courage to yep. speak yep. your truth, Abby. Why didn't you? And I think that's why we all have this fire lit beneath us because we will not have to kneel before our father to answer why we weren't brave for him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, and I just got chills. And that's why I just want to drive more people to you. And we need that because, you know, iron sharpens iron and we have, and, and that courage feeds off. Since Abby's come into my life, I've become more courageous, and I feel yeah. like this is what we need to do. We need to link arms. You need to grab onto people who are speaking only truth, and if they hurt your feelings, it's probably a good thing. If they offend <laughs> you from time to time, they're doing their job. Yeah. That's exactly what you're doing.
1: Amen. Amen. So, you know, I, I get a lot of criticism because sometimes I'll call out some of these bigger-name pastors, and people are like, you know, what, what's wrong with what they're saying? I said, it's not what they're saying. It's what they're not saying. they're but not saying. It's not, they're saying some good stuff. It's what they're not saying that I'm upset about. These guys need to really raise a fuss. Brian Gibson calls it uh, raising heaven. We need to raise some heaven, right? <laughs> we need to get bold and raise some heaven That's what we need to do.
2: Yes. So what, what are some, what are some final just encouraging words or maybe words of admonishment or something that you could give to, uh, to parents? I mean, we have parents listening and yep. all over the world and, what are just some some parting words that you could give to our conservative Christian parents that are listening that just they maybe need some something uh, to help them today?
1: You know, we we've all heard and we've probably all been guilty of saying, "Oh my goodness, you know, raising kids these days. I, I I'd hate to be a teenager these days." But you know what? The Apostle Paul and the rest of the disciples in the Bible, they longed to live in the day that we're living in right now. We can't miss that. We're watching God do some amazing things. And I teach my kids, you know what? You don't have to be discouraged about what you're seeing on Twitter and TikTok. And fake. I'm telling you, the Bible is coming to life. And I'm letting these parents know there is hope. You can still raise godly, Christ-honoring, sold-out children in this day. The Bible says, in this present world. We can still be righteous. We can still be godly. You raise your kids and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, they may make a little detour, but they will not forget it. And you know, my my wife said this a few weeks ago on the stage at our church, and she always closes in prayer, and she just felt led of the Lord. She said, I want to tell some of you, this is the season when the prodigals are coming home.
0: That's right. That's
1: beautiful. This is the season when the prodigals are coming home. God is drawing people back because he's opening the eyes of people that have been blinded for so long and they're like, there's got to be more than this. And so I just want to encourage that parent, that mom, that dad, that grandparent that's that's weeping right now on the other side of this screen. Look, this is the season when God's bringing them back and there is still hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is not in the White House. My hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter how bad it gets. And it's bad and it's going to get worse. I'm telling you, there's still hope. Our marriages can still be rock solid. Our children can still love Jesus Christ. The church can still grow. And at the end of the day, Jesus is still on the throne. The Bible is still the word of God. And we still have eternal life dwelling within us. And this is the worst for us it's ever going to get. But it's going to get a whole lot better. And even Paul said, I has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those that seek him. And I believe God's pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. And so I tell folks, lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. Don't be discouraged. Get your nose out of the newspaper, stick it in the Bible, and be encouraged because God is on the throne. And he's doing some beautiful stuff in the midst of a crazy culture that we're living in.
2: Yeah, We're raising saints. We're raising saints saints. after Greg. That's what we're doing. Amen.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, you two better get to Mount Juliet, Tennessee, get out of this tent, see what's going on. I know.
2: I got (laughs) to come visit. I know. I got to come visit. We're we're actually going to go. My family's going to take, we're going to go to... uh, Tennessee for um vacation this summer so we'll okay. we'll swing by
1: yeah you text me let me know I'm gonna throw you up on that stage <laughs> okay all right I'll do it anytime, anytime. You know it.
2: okay all right okay. thank you so much thank, thank you so much, you. this great. was this was amazing thank we'll you do it so again much. I appreciate you guys all right okay well be in I touch soon you.